ultimately entrepreneurship is about creating value in the ecosystem. So if you're not creating value, it's going to be very hard for you to acquire customers. Episode 132. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I am bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the world in all sorts of different industries so they can talk about their business journey so yours can be inspired by it. Grace Eng is my guest today, and she's the co-founder of Javelin. Now, Javelin is a company, really an evolution of a company that started out being called the Lean Startup Machine. And these are workshops that happen in 150 different countries to help teach entrepreneurs the lean startup process. And what happened is that there was so much demand from all of the students who came to these workshops for more and more resources that she began creating product that would actually help them and put that under the mother company of Javelin. So it's a brilliant business model. She's very passionate about the startup, about the lean startup process. And in this interview, she really goes into what it has truly meant for her to have to pivot, which really means like, holy crap, you hit a wall and now you got to move. The emotion she has felt behind that and how she has productized an in-person workshop. I think it is totally brilliant. So get ready for this one. Let's go. Grace, what's going on, girl? Thanks so much for being on the show. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I am I'm ultra appreciative of the fact that you're taking your time here with me tonight because you've just literally gotten off of the plane from kind of a whirlwind world tour and are finally back in New York. So thank you for being here and spending the time. I'm sure you're exhausted. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to, to speak to the um, female audience and, and to speak on uh, Biz Woman Rock. So it's really great to be here. Thank you. So um, I'm very excited to share your story with everyone today because, um, A, you are a very young woman who has done so much already as an entrepreneur and has a lot of experience. And so I really would love to start really at your first kind of entrepreneurial experience. Can you walk us through a little bit about what that was and kind of how you got took your first steps into business? Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, it started at a really early age. Um, I grew up, you know, as an artist, as a writer. I wanted to be an inventor. And I think, you know, the first point when I realized that I could just monetize off of my creations, you know, at the time I was in third grade, maybe it was second grade, and I would just be drawing and then um, my classmates would come over and tried to, you know, get me to draw for them. And this one girl actually, you know, she said, oh, can you draw me, um, you know, three unicorns and I'll pay you $3. And at that point, you know, I realized that I could just monetize off of what I create. And, you know, I was, I was always a creator. I was always very imaginative, imaginative. And I wanted to invent things. I, you know, always, I was always like doodling different inventions um, like flying cars and, you know, all these other crazy ideas. And um, maybe, so, yeah, so I just, you know, at that point, um, I would just start trying to, like, monetize off of things I made. So I would make stuff, and then I would try to sell it to my friends. 
uh, to try to sell it to my classmates. And and then, yeah, it was just this kind of, like, realization that I could just make make things that create value for other people and other people would want to pay me for it. That really um, kind of gave me that, that kickstart in entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. Did you uh, have any and, little lessons that you learned in the midst of all of this stuff? Like, you know, learning about your customer a certain way or learning about, you know, your marketing or anything like that? That was a big lesson that you really remembered? Um, yeah, I think one thing was, you know, of course, like, you know, in the early days, it was just like little creations. But I guess when I really struck like, you know, a, um, a nerve and really like had like a lot of money rolling in was, when I was in high school and, you know, in high school, everyone's like sleep deprived and, um, you know, kids love like coffee and chocolate and candy. And so I started selling candy. Um, you know, I, I would just buy them wholesale and I would just sell them individually for a dollar each. And, that was a huge business and you know I would start finding like the right time to sell candy um, and then I would find what kind of candy sells the best and when other students were selling candy they would sell just like um, like just like one like they would have the same kind of candy bar like Hershey's but I would um, differentiate myself by getting like Sour Patch Kids and no one else had those so Sour Patch Kids cookies, cookies and cream and I would just get like all this, like, differentiated candy bars um, that no one else had. And I would, you know, that, that was, like, the most money I was ever making um, being, like, you know, a kid. Uh, so, yeah. so that, <laughs> That's awesome. Kind of, like, yeah. So, um, at that point, I guess I, I realized um, finding, you know, finding a, a gap in the market, finding, like, a pain. At that point, it wasn't really a pain point, but it was really just, like, you know, um, I guess demand and supply and also like kids are tired and they love candy. So just really, um, you know, figuring my way out from that. That's hilarious. See, I was not the kid selling the candy. I was not an entrepreneurial mind back then. I was the one eating the candy. <laughs> I was like, we had to sell them for like, you know, I was a, jo- a big a big jock. So, you know, for whatever fundraiser we were doing for volleyball or whatever, and I would have to sell the candy, but I would like eat half of it. So I would owe myself money oh, by the man. end of the day. <laughs> oh my God. I have a sweet tooth. <laughs> well, I would have loved to sell candy to you. <laughs> I know. I would have been your best customer. <laughs> there, there you go. I love it. So at what point, I mean, you, I mean, you're learning all these very real lessons, um, you know, as a young kid, at what point in your adulthood did it really take shape that you now had your company? Yeah, so, yeah, so like I said, you know, it came with this realization that I can just create and people would actually value my creation enough to to pay me for it. And when I was a teen, I got into web development. So I was building websites. I was, you know, I loved building websites. And I just started building websites for clients, started um, making, you know, other kinds of web uh, stuff for clients. And... And from there, I just really wanted to build websites. You know, I didn't know what I, why, so early on, I did know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, when other kids were still trying to figure out their passions, I knew I was like really passionate about building websites. And when people asked me, what, what do you want to do? I said, web 2.0. I didn't have this understanding, you know, 
even though I was doing entrepreneurial things, I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I didn't realize that was a possible career option. They don't tell you that in school. Right, right. <laughs> and um, so I didn't know, uh, you know, that being an entrepreneur was a, a career option. I didn't know about startups. I wish I knew about tech technology startups sooner because um, at that point, even though I was, I was building websites and maybe consuming um, and, you know, visiting other websites, I had no idea that, um, the people behind those websites were entrepreneurs. I had no idea that um, the websites I was visiting, that there was a team behind that that was called a startup. So it's, it's very, um, you know, it's very, you know, shocking. It was very shocking for me when I kind of put the two together and I was like, oh my God, like all the, all the websites that I visit actually belong to a company or belong to a team of entrepreneurs or a startup. And I can do that too. So early on, I just wanted to build websites and um, that transformed into, um, you know, building websites for clients. And when I realized that I could, you know, build a website as an entrepreneur and, you know, turn that into a startup and get funding for it, kind of that's, that's where I dove right in. And, um, you know, I, I started two startups um, before um, I came to Lean Start Machine, and, you know, the first two were failures. And I learned some hard lessons that inspired me to create Lean Start Machine. So what were what were those two startups that you created? Like, give us a little bit of a, of a just a, a picture of exactly what it was and what your major lessons were. Yeah, so first one was, it was, I was really fascinated by, um, Search. So, you know, right now the the only way people connect to more information is through searching for it. Um, but the way search is structured, it's keyword-based, and it's not really according to a user's intent uh, or the searcher's intent. So um, initially my first idea was inspired by... Um, you know, this other entrepreneur who was having trouble hiring um, a, a CTO because he said, oh, you know, you can look at the resume, you can look at their qualifications, but in the end it comes down to personality and, and their, you know, characteristic traits. And that's not something you can really screen for until you actually work with them. So, so I thought, well, that's interesting how right now we can only search for people by you know, resume qualities, but we can't really search for people by characteristic and personality traits. So I had this idea to make this people search engine um, that we would um, sell to HR departments. And in order to, to get that data, we, we had to have people leaving reviews about their friends and colleagues. Um, right, saying that, oh, you know, Grace is nice, Grace is, you know, right. smart, so that those were the words that you could search on, right? Exactly. And that was something that at the time LinkedIn didn't have that kind of review functionality. And um, and so we, we decided to work on that. And we built, we built the app. Um, so at this time, I was familiar with these concepts of, you know, um, rapid experiments but it was still such a niche concept that there was not a lot of material on it. Um, it was 
still very, very niche concept. So I was familiar with rapid experimentation, um, but I thought I had to still kind of build out the functionality in order to test with real customers. So we still built like the least amount we could. And um, maybe it took like, you know, a month or two. And then we I got it out in front of customers and realized that people were not willing to review, leave reviews about their friends. Right, right. So at that point, um, that kind of led us to our pivot. And, you know, we decided, okay, well, if this isn't going to work, let's try, uh, you know, image search. Um, so... You know, I always, as a kid, I always had this idea of being able to just, um, well, early on, there was no, like, iPhone or camera phone, so I had this idea where I could just um, scan a photo of something into my scanner, and my computer could tell me what the photo was, like, what I was looking at. And so that was an idea that I had as a little kid, and then it kind of, like, resurfaced again, and I thought, okay, well... Let's try to improve image recognition algorithms. Um, so we made a photo question answer service uh, where users could take a photo, ask a question, and they would get answers from the community. Um, so crowdsourced um, data about what, what they were looking at. And we would use that to improve image recognition algorithms. And again, we ran an experiment where we built the least functionality possible, um, put it out there, and I got a response from um, someone who actually, you know, he was in Florida and he took a photo of a bird and he used a flip phone um, at the time to take that photo and he actually uploaded it to his computer with a USB cord. And he said, what kind of bird is this? Is this even a bird? It's so strange. And what we were really excited is that was our first um, post, so we sent that back out. And someone answered, oh, that's a Muscovy duck. It's really common in Florida. And, and this gave us enough validation to, you know, build the app, but we still made a lot of mistakes with our experimentation process along the way. And ultimately, when we launched in the app store, we still failed uh, because of those mistakes that we made. And at this point, um, you know, I realized how important it was to um, test the right assumptions and run effective experiments. And there was, there was all these nuances um, even even if you're running experiments, there are all these nuances. And so that's how I um, came to work on the start machine because, um, you know, there's just people People are saying, oh, I want to I do lean startup, but there's so many mistakes that you can still make along the way. So we've developed curriculum and tools to help people um, be more successful um, when running experiments with their startups. So... One of the most unique things about this this experience, and I think every business person goes through this, because, you know, what's the saying? Like, you know, you can have like 80,000 ideas a day, right? But it's it's all about the idea that's really going to stick and actually fulfills a need and a problem, and it solves a problem, right? So what you're talking about and what you're doing now, which we're going to get into a little bit more, is uh, really doing a lot of market research and making sure that there actually is a need. But what I'm really, the question I really want to ask here is, what were you experiencing at those big walls that you ran into? Like, what was your experience? I mean, I know we call it a pivot when something doesn't work and you realize you got to change directions, right? But what were you experiencing? Because you call these, you call them failures. I'm sure, you know, we would all, call, all of us yeah. call our own little hiccups failures and times that we've hit the wall. But yeah. what were you emotionally experiencing and how did you move past it in order to keep on going? 
Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing is confirmation bias. Um, as entrepreneurs, it's, you know, we need enough confidence to push forward and believe in our vision, but we also need to be humble. We also need to be aware of when it's not working. Um, as entrepreneurs, it's very easy to, to, you know, be so confident where you're saying, like, where even though, like, you know, maybe customers are, are like, saying, oh, no, it's not working for me, um, or, you know, people are saying, oh, no, there's no problem there, you know, that's not a problem, what are you doing? And you're just, like, so confident, you're, you're chugging through it, but really, you know, and that's, this is, you know, one of the hardest parts, this kind of, like, battle with yourself, because, um, you need to be so confident, but you need to be so humble that you are aware when you are not solving a real problem, when you are aware that um, there is not enough of a customer demand for you to chug forward. And ultimately, entrepreneurship is about creating value in the ecosystem. So if you're not creating value, it's going to be very hard for you to acquire customers. And I think a common misconception uh, for um, people who want to be entrepreneurs is that entrepreneurship is about pursuing a passion or building building your dream. And, you know, it is, it is about that, but it's also finding a balance of creating value and, and also making profit. Um, so it's not just purely, oh, I want to, you know, pursue my passion because then that would just be a passion project. That could be an art project and that never makes money. Um, but you want to find that balance between passion and profit. Um, so that's, that was a key thing for me um, when I realized, oh, my God, I'm so caught up in my vision and, and you know, in my passion that um, there's no real problem here. And then the second one is, you know, pushing through failure. So with with that last startup, you know, it wasn't just, we failed because we couldn't um, get users. We also failed because my, my personal failure was like a co-founder conflict. So my business partner and I, you know, started fighting and we, you know, left each other um, essentially. And and at that point, he, you know, it was just a terrible, you know, breakup. And, and it was devastating. And, you know, I was at rock bottom there. Um, and I was, you know, very depressed. I was at rock bottom, but then, um, what I did in that situation was in order to push forward, um, I did a, a couple of things, but the biggest thing I did was just go on vacation, you know, go, <laughs> go elsewhere, you know, like, <laughs> love it, not be, <laughs> yeah, like not being kind of like wallowing in the pit of, like, where I was building, because I was just, like, building my startup for my own home, and, like, after it fell through, I was still, like, in my own home, like, lamenting, <laughs> but, you know, just get out there and get a new perspective, so I just went out, um, I visited China for the first time, and just got a fresh perspective, and said, hey, it's not the end of the world, there's still so much more opportunity out there, you just got to keep keep your eye out for all these bigger opportunities that you can solve for. And, yeah, and 
when I was when I was out there, I was refreshed and I was renewed and I had a, a renewed sense of energy. And I came back to New York City, like eager to kind of take take it on again. And as soon as I came back, I was just like, all right, that's in the past. You know, I got to push forward. There are more opportunities. I went back out, started networking, started meeting new people. You know, looking for new opportunities. That's yeah. amazing. I love that. And that's so true. It, it's like that, you know, every single time it gets too heavy, you just got to remove yourself from it. I've had so many guests say exactly that. And it's so powerful. So you ended up getting into, you co-founded the Lean, Start, Lean Startup Machine, which basically is like workshops all around the globe of of the Lean Startup process. So can you talk a little bit about what your process was in starting that up and maybe what things look like in those first couple of years for you guys? Yeah. So basically the, the Lean Startup concept is say, it's, it's saying that you should break your idea down into testable hypotheses. So every single time as an entrepreneur you have an idea, it's already a solution. And you you need to take a step back and just understand, okay, well, instead of pushing forward with a solution, what exactly are we trying to test here? And if you are able to, to break your idea down into just hypotheses where you can um, run experiment to test if, if you are able to um, run experiment, collect data, and measure results to see if the results um, exceed or um, live up to your expectations, then you can actually improve, learn what worked, learn what didn't work, and improve based on that. So, um, you know, if, it's not, if something's not working, then you can change your direction a little bit. If something's working, then you can push forward a little bit more. And by taking these incremental steps, you can actually succeed faster um, because you learn faster what's not working. And I met my co-founder um, early on, actually, when I was working on my last startup. And he was working on a couple of other um, startup ideas. And he had um, this idea uh, for Lean Startup Machine because he also failed his um, last company. And and so when we met, uh, again, after my last startup failed, we kind of had um, this realization that, this process was so important because we both failed startups. And, you know, we we both realized the value of teaching this to other people um, and how important it is for other um, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to, in order to succeed, that they need to be able to implement this process effectively. So we started building the company from there. Uh, it was that idea phase. Um, Ran a few workshops, and and then we needed to start, you know, scaling and growing this company, and that was that was, I guess, you know, that's the the challenging part, you know, taking the idea from um, just an idea to the first workshop, and I guess so. What was really um, amazing, and um, it what was really amazing about the first few workshops is that is that there was so much demand for the next workshop. So that's how we knew that we were onto something because, you know, after the first workshop, people were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. When's the second workshop? Um, so so th- that's kind of what you have to look out for as an entrepreneur when you run that small experiment. So that first workshop is a small experiment. 
taste, is there enough demand for learning this process? And if there is, then we can do a second workshop. If there isn't, then why why not? Um, and so early on, there was just so much demand for for this workshop that we decided to just keep running these workshops, and then we need to figure out how to scale these workshops into different cities, into different countries. So how exactly did you do that? Actually, tell us first, like how big, like how many countries are these workshops in? How many people do you have sort of being the, you know, advocate for these workshops in all these different areas? And how many, like how many workshops uh, on an annual basis do you guys actually have? Yeah, so we are in 150 uh, cities around the world, and um, that's so far. Um, and we started off. We started off just in New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, and um, we have tens of thousands of entrepreneurs around the world evangelizing um, our Lean Start Machine workshops. The, the way we grew was basically uh, we started by hiring local uh, New York City organizers. So, so the challenge initially was figuring out who to hire um, as these early organizers. We thought initially to hire people with community building experience, but, um, but that turned out to not be scalable because people with experience, they would charge a higher price and that wasn't scalable for us at the, you know, very early, early stage. Um, so we hired people who were just like young and hungry and eager to like, you know, get into startups and do whatever it took to kind of build a successful workshop and engage with the startup community in, in those different cities. And that worked out well and we kept it, um, to, New York City people, we would just fly them out um, to different cities because we want to keep our quality of workshop high. And then as we did that, um, we scaled that way. And after a year or two, we started um, we started just having local organizers in their own cities organizing the workshop. After we have after we developed our curriculum and. Um, you know, developed all this all this process um, to make sure that our workshop quality would be um, be be kept at a high standard. Then we felt comfortable bringing it to other cities and having local people organize it. And that's all we are today. We have a unlock unlock your city process where basically we have to validate the demand for um, a workshop before we actually bring the workshop there. So any city would probably need, you know, at least like 200 votes or email addresses um, indicating that there is enough of an entrepreneurial ecosystem, enough of a demand for us to actually go into the next step of bringing a workshop there. Gotcha. So it's very much like a TEDx model, you know, like they have very high standards. You have very high standards for like, here's what the program really needs to look like. And here's what needs to be taught. And here's and and what you do that's so unique is making sure that there's a market there for it. That's really great. Yep. So so in what I'm so fascinated by, and this is exactly what we're going to go into, is you, you know, had these few years of experience with Lean Startup Machine. You definitely had the response that more and more people were interested. They wanted more and more. And then you decided to build Javelin. So can you talk a little bit about why you did that and what Javelin is? Yes. So when, 
when we built these workshops, everyone wanted to understand what could they do next. Um, they wanted to keep running experiments. And in order to do that, we started to develop software to help people um, keep running experiments and, um, you know, keep that kind of experimentation process alive even after the workshop experience. So basically, we're productizing our workshop and we're productizing our service. So we developed Javelin and Quick MVP in order to deliver software to our existing customer base. So that that's kind of, um, you know, in my opinion, the best way to start a business. A lot of people think, oh, you know, I'll start a business by developing software immediately. But what we did was we developed the customer base first, and based on feedback from our existing customers, we de developed the software. So um, I'll talk about Quick MVP because Quick MVP is um, the, the latest software that we've de developed, um, which is the easiest way to test your business ID in five minutes. And so Quick MVP is a landing page builder and a Google ad creator. And you can, and what's so powerful about this is you can actually test your ideas with just those two um, tools. Right. So you're not and building is, out an entire business. You get to test it this way. Exactly. And this is for, you know, it's, it's ideal for like non-technical people who have so many ideas, but they don't know which idea to focus on. They don't know which idea to, um, will have the most potential, which idea to, to build first. And so, you know, with Quick MVP, you can actually just test multiple ideas and we actually forecast the business potential of any of your ideas. So, you know, from the comfort of your own home, you can test 10 different ideas and you can see um, which idea has the, the, the lowest customer acquisition cost, highest customer lifetime value, highest market size. And, and then with that data, it'll help you decide faster which idea to focus on. And, you know, that is a common challenge in um, early, uh, early kind of entrepreneur, um, the early stage of uh, being an entrepreneur. And the future of entrepreneurship isn't the, the entrepreneur who kind of just like goes at it with one idea. It's the entrepreneur who um, tests 10 different ideas and sees the idea that has the most customer demand and has the highest signal to succeed. Mm. And that's, you know, the, the future of entrepreneurship. And that's how you can increase your chances of success. I love that. I have to ask you this, though. How do you continue to connect and build the community? Because for me, I hear basically that the Lean Startup Machine workshops are kind of the foundation of how you're starting to build your community that's very much in person. I would imagine you're staying in contact with them, you know, via social media, via email. Um, and, and like, do you have anything like are those enough? to then continue to build this community or do you do other things to really make sure that they connect? Or is it like, hey, these are, you know, alums of this program and now here we have your information and we're going to say you've asked for these things. Here's what we have now. Like what is your touch? What are your touch points with people who have been to your workshops in order to maintain and continue building the community? Yes. So we have a strong community. We have an alumni network. Uh, we have a mentor network. And, you know, we do plan to host, um, you know, 
one day like a global organizer conference where all the organizers from around the world come into New York City. Um, but that that is some something that um, you know we we want to have, and and we with the Quick MVP um, product, you know, it's not just an online software. We have a Quick MVP community as well. So people who use the software when they're testing their ideas. We have a Google um, group community where the users of QuickMVP can go online and talk to other entrepreneurs and ask them questions about, hey, you know, I'm getting this result back. What do you think of it? How, what should I do next? And they're just exchanging ideas, and it's so powerful because they're not just using it in solitude. They're using it, and they're, they have other like-minded entrepreneurs to bounce ideas off of, bounce results off of. I love that. And that is so very, very powerful. That's exactly what we have. Uh, the Biz Women Rock community has an online forum, the BWR Connect, and it's our private Facebook group. And that's exactly what that is. Women like, you know, hashing ideas out and asking for, you know, uh, support and they're asking for ideas and, and feedback on stuff. And that's, it's a such a powerful platform. Very, very powerful. Yeah. So, you know, when you put people together in a room, yeah. Ideas and ideas and potential just double up. So where do you see things going? What is your big vision for what you want Javelin and the Lean Startup and all of these products that you've been able to create out of this? Where do you want that to go? What's your big vision? Yeah. So what we've been working towards is helping people run experiments in shorter amounts of time. And what what's so important about that is if you can really reduce the time from when you have an idea to um, testing it and getting your results back, you can actually succeed faster. You can reduce the time it takes to, to start up. You can reduce the time, um, you know, in your entrepreneurial journey. And you're close to, that much closer to success. So, so that's been our whole mission so far is to really reduce the amount of time from idea to getting that data back from real customers. So we've done that with, um, you know, with our workshop, it, it takes three days. You know, within three days, you can you can pivot multiple times. You, you are getting out of the building and talking to customers at least, you know, six times. And and um, and we developed a tool called the Experiment Board, which is free, and you can download it online. I can uh, share the link with you, too. And the Experiment Board, I've seen teams design an experiment and get out of the building talking to customers within within 10 minutes, like at fastest within five minutes. And with Quick MVP, it is five minutes. And and you you actually get a higher amount of um, um, customer learning back because you are sending more, even more customers to your page. Mm. So we're just reducing that amount of time so entrepreneurs can succeed faster and test their ideas rapidly and find the idea that works. I love that. And also, like, in the end, um, it's about creating value. So, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs where they spend a lot of time just building things that don't matter, building things that um, don't solve for a customer need. And, you know, you can do that, but it's going to be a a passion project. And if you really want to build a sustainable, successful, scalable business, you need to focus on what creates customer value. I love that. This is all about systemizing the entrepreneurial 
process and the, you know, idea process, which I think is brilliant. So um, I, I want to go ahead and, you know, wrap things up by going into our favorite five. Are you ready, my dear? I am. Okay. So I want to ask you a couple of favorites. Um, what is your favorite tool? Uh, maybe something that helps you get a lot more efficient in your business or just a tool or an app or something, technology that you really love? Favorite tool. Okay, yeah. I mean, there are so many different categories. You know, it really depends on, on what what I'm trying to achieve. So, for example, you know, if I... Sometimes if I'm reading articles, if I'm reading long articles, I like to um, pocket them so I can just, like, read them on the go. What is it? Pocket um, what? It's called Pocket. Okay. Yeah, I think the website is Pocket. Is it Get Pocket? GetPocket.com. And then I like... Um, so I still actively use QuickMVP for myself. <laughs> nice. So, um, you know, I have so many ideas um, that I'm constantly testing. So I, <laughs> the easiest way is just to go into quickmvp.com uh, and um, put down my, it's, it's kind of like an idea bucket list for me. Um, you know, instead of putting my ideas down in like a notebook, I just put down my ideas into QuickMVP and I just kind of test them and kind of get data back like that to see, oh, you know, like I can forget about that idea and I can, you know, keep this idea in mind. Um, so I still use QuickMVP a lot. Um, and then, and you know, I have, <laughs> it's funny because I have an experiment board hanging up here as we speak because I, I constantly use it uh, with my team to test ideas. Uh, so every single time a new te- um, a team member wants to propose something new we try out, then it's like, okay, well, you know, test that and see what data you come back with before we pursue it. Love it. So the experiment board is great for just testing ideas, and it's great for transparency so I can see, like, what people are testing and how, like, and for me to just, like, dump out my, my own hypotheses and assumptions and, um, you know, what I need to test. And then, Very cool. Well, that'll be good. I mean, those are plenty. That's good. This is your favorite, so it's only one. <laughs> so let's oh, go. Yeah, there's there's a three. <laughs> there's so many of them. I know. So let's go to let's go to your favorite book. What is one of your favorite business books? Yeah. Um, so one that really you know had a profound um, impact on me when I was really um, struggling um, as a businesswoman um, was. Art of War for Women, and this was at a point where I was turning to a lot of leadership books, and I and men, and you know, for example, with Gail Carnegie, and um, you know, I think Forty Two Laws of Power. They're all like very, very masculine, and I couldn't relate to them because, you know, for example, they would. They would say, oh, you know, if you want to exert power, you have to stand like this. And, and I just couldn't relate to them because, you know, it wasn't who I was. And I prefer, um, I guess, more of a, I guess in a way it's, it's more feminine. It's like, you know, I, I prefer relating to people. I prefer, you know, connecting with people. Um, and so I couldn't relate to all these business and leadership books because they're written by men. 
And I was kind of struggling because I, I, I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, well, do I have to turn into a man? Like, do I have to have all these masculine qualities in order to be a successful entrepreneur, in order to be a successful business person? And I was having this kind of conflict with myself um, because I kind of, I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted to be able to be myself and also be successful. And so... I came across Art of War for Women, which really resonated with me. Um, and, I, you know, I just, I, I can't specifically remember because there were so many profound lessons from that book. But that was a really um, good book. Nice. I, didn't, then, I haven't even heard of that one. So that's uh, it's definitely a good one to check out. Yeah. What about your favorite place in Puerto Rico? I know you just got back from Puerto Rico. So what about your favorite <laughs> place there? Um, the food was good. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm a huge foodie. Um, so I went to, I did discover, we, so we went to um, a private beach, but what was, what really, you know, so I was there speaking on an entrepreneurship conference and it was really powerful seeing, you know, Puerto goes at its early stage of, um, you know, the entrepreneurial movement and it was just really, you know, profound to see everyone kind of gathering around to, to learn how to be entrepreneurs. And I was speaking to them about how, about my own personal experience and sharing with them my lessons learned so that they, they can hopefully become, you know, successful faster. And uh, my favorite place was uh, this restaurant that we visited on our, our, on our way back from uh, the private beach. And it was this restaurant that served uh, lobster mofongo. And it was so delicious. Nice. So I really liked that. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, totally random question, but because here in Florida, we're at least on the cusp of a season change here in fall, which for us means from going from hot to cold <laughs> instead of any fall. But what is your favorite season out of all the seasons of the year? Which which is your favorite? Yeah, so I, I used to like winter. Um, it used to be my favorite season because my birthday is um, around that time too. But then I realized, oh, my God, a few years ago, I realized, oh, my God, why do I love winter so much? Every, everything is just, like, brown and mushy, and, you know, people are kind of, like, indoors. <laughs> so now I really like, <laughs> I really like, um, I don't know, I don't think I have a favorite season anymore. You know, I, I think I, at this point, I appreciate every season, you know. Uh, summer is when every, everyone comes out outside again, and everyone's, like, you know, doing stuff outside. Um, spring is when flowers are blossoming. Fall is when, you know, there are beautiful colors in the trees. So I, I like every season now. Got it. Okay, last question. Because you were the candy seller in high school, what is your favorite candy? Hmm. Well, um. <laughs> See, I knew you'd have a definite opinion about this. Come oh. on. <laughs> I... I like candy with, like, I like chocolate bars that have, like, chunks in them. So I was just eating, I was just eating something. I mean, it was about 100 grand or or something. But I, I like um, chocolate bars that have chunks in them. So either like pretzel, crunchy, peanut buttery chunks, or I also like gourmet um, chocolate. So I like to collect chocolate when I travel. <laughs> Yeah, so, nice. yeah, so I like to collect different chocolates from like all over the world and try them out. Very, very cool. 
Well, that concludes mm-hmm. our favorite five, my dear. And I just want to take a second to thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, thank you for giving us some really great insights to how you've built your companies and all the lessons you've learned along the way. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. And if there's anything you can help out with, uh, you know, with your community, let me know. What Grace did not mention in that interview that we talked about before was the fact that her lean startup machine um, element of her company is a million dollar business annually. And the quick MVP product that she was talking about has become a $200,000 a year in recurring revenue. So this girl knows a little bit about what it really takes to actually have this startup company and how to, what I loved best was this whole idea of getting the user experience and really analyzing the marketplace before you actually go launch, before you do anything. It was just so simple, but so powerful. And that's what this girl is honing in. So I just absolutely love that. I hope you really got a lot from that. So I would encourage you, if you have an idea, if you are an idea person and you love it and you just always think of these great ideas that can expand your business, I would highly encourage you to go use her tool to help you give you a process for how to filter through those ideas and to see if there's a market for what you are what you have an idea for. Just such a great model. So hope you really enjoyed it today. I'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.